Welcome, everybody, to Dad Talk Live. And tonight, I get the honor of talking to two awesome writers, Travis Clough and Christopher Laughing. Guys, thank you so much for being here. How are you both doing tonight? We are good. Thank you. Good, man. Good to be on the show, Dead uh, Talk Live. I love that title, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So let's get right to it. Uh, you guys have co-written, co-directed. I'm really curious when it comes to the writing part, uh, co-writing a screenplay. How does the collaboration work? Do you say, Chris, you handle the ending, Travis, you do the beginning? I have no idea. How does the collaboration work? It's it's an interesting process. Uh, typically, what's happened though, uh, I would say, Travis, is you you are really good at coming up with ideas, nug a nugget of a story, uh, a, a a concept, and Travis. I mean, he'll throw them out all the time. Actually, like he'll Too throw out <laughs> throw out ideas all the time. Too many ideas, but the ones that are solid that I stew on in terms of ideas and concepts. Then if they're strong enough, then Chris will start to stew on them and he'll start to kind of put it down on paper and then uh, and then kind of start out the start actually writing a script out and then we'll just discuss from there and, and go from there and and, uh, and then a script is born. Wow. wow, that's really cool to hear. And the co-directing, it's pretty obvious you guys work on that together. How is it working together? on a script that you guys came up with and seeing it through the directing phase. I mean, it's, it's cool. It's, it's interesting when you're creating your own material, um, being sort of the captain of your own ship and, um, knowing the material inside and out. It's really, I don't know. It's really cool with our latest movie act. Well, with Gallows and Gallows too. Yeah. We got the pleasure of doing that, having written and directed it start to finish, you know, just us. But on this recent, most recent movie we just did, Held, uh, the poster back there. Yeah. This was the first time we actually worked with um, another writer, and uh, doing something that we didn't write completely, start to finish. Although we helped with the screenplay. We were heavily involved in the development process, so we knew the story really well, and that just made it that much easier for us to uh, to just jump in and direct uh, the heck out of this movie. So, so it was get- good. So give us a background on this new movie that just came out this past April called Held. Uh, tell us what the movie's about. So it's about a, a, a married couple whose uh, relationship is, you know, strained. strained. And they are going away to this vacation rental uh, to celebrate their anniversary and try to kind of patch things up and work through their problems. And this vacation rental has all the bells and whistles of the smarter technology. It's like a smart home. Yeah. yeah. So it's very futuristic in a sense, but it's also kind of built in the mid-century modern era. So it's kind of got history to it as well. So it's this very, we call it futuristic vintage. Awesome. Yeah. Like, <laughs> a, like a Victorian age smart home. Uh, yeah. That's, that's pretty freaky right there. Uh, so is this a horror, sci-fi uh, and if it is horror, what subgenre would you put it under? It's definitely 
more it definitely has some sci-fi but i would say it's a little bit more of a thriller more of a hitchcock kind of a thriller um it does have uh some horror elements for sure yeah um but uh very very dark and and kind of brooding and and awkward in moments and uncomfortable uncomfortable in yeah very um, uncomfortable because this the, what happens is that the they get locked in obviously but there's a voice that uh, announces itself over the speaker system in the house this really ominous voice and starts telling the couple what to do in order to repair their marriage. So some people like, have wife, you must do this for your husband, husband, you must do this for your wife kind yeah. of stuff. And it's like, wait a second. What? Yeah. Some people have described it as jigsaws, marriage counseling or something <laughs> like I've heard that before. But let me yeah. guess the, uh, the voice is not very benign, is it? It's a malevolent type voice. It certainly feels that way when it speaks. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's that's, that's a, such a unique concept. Out of all the projects that you guys have done, uh, which one would you say was the most challenging, whether it's writing or directing, both? Which one presented yeah. to you guys the most challenge? I think for sure the Gallows was the biggest challenge because um, we went from from not having any connections to the industry and just making that completely on our own. In fact, we we did just recently launch our own podcast called the Unlikely Story Podcast, where we just talk about filmmaking and how to do it. And our first episode is really a deep dive into how we made the gallows, being completely outside the industry, and how we took this $100,000 budget film and got a worldwide theatrical release with Warner Brothers and New Line and Blumhouse all involved. and. Uh, you know, to a $43 million box office from just that tiny movie. That I, I would say, though, the first version of The Gallows that we shot wasn't really hard at all. Like, we, you know what I mean? Like, in terms of, like, it was just kind of pure filmmaking. We just it went was, out and yeah. did it and, like, you know, no rules. Like, we just made the movie. It was really after that. No that Hollywood all, red tape or anything, yeah, you yeah. know? <laughs> it was after the fact. After we actually got... Uh, partners on board with Blumhouse uh, that we went to go do reshoots all the tinkering years after all that's... the tinkering and all the waiting for feedback and this of other people and uh, I think that's something that's that's nice about this most recent one that we did is that we did it completely on our own we didn't we didn't get partners involved we wanted to just didn't be able to, to do it quickly didn't have to answer to anyone didn't have to answer to anyone oh, that's, and uh, that's the best way to do it yeah we had a great theatrical release uh, April 9th with Magnolia, who picked up our film, held, and it's fantastic. It was top 20 box office, right, <laughs> opening weekend, which is pretty amazing given that it was only in 130 theaters uh, to be able to do that. So, that, uh, but yeah, once more Hollywood people got involved in the gallows, that's when it slowed down and got a little harder to kind of get through. Yeah. Uh, to the point where we had something that was uh, it was just a struggle theater because it, it was the process of Travis said we do a deep dive in our podcast but the process took four four and a half long years yeah. to get that movie out so it was just a it was just the struggle you know from beginning to end that whole time still mm -hmm. is uh, you know quite the journey now so. Travis I have not seen held yet but I do know that you were that voice in that smart home is that accurate that that may or may not be a spoiler, uh, but, uh, but uh, you'll have to see. I'll okay, say that. Okay. Say. You'll okay. Have to see. All right. Uh, 
Regardless no. of who the I don't boy sound is. that menacing, do I? Right, no, yeah. <laughs> no. A sweet voice. Now, uh, let's go to the gallows. Jason Blum, in particular, he's listed as a uh, executive producer. How did Jason get on board with the gallows? Was it, I mean, as an executive producer, I would assume he was there before you guys started filming and was part of the filming process, or did he come on board while you guys, I assume, were doing the film festival circuit, if you did the film festival circuit? Uh, none of the above, actually. He was, we actually, so we made the gallows completely independent of anyone. It was literally just myself, Travis, two helpers, and the four actors. And that was how we made the gallows. I mean, it was, it was as raw as Blair Witch. I mean, it was like just us in that theater running around making this movie. And from 2011 to 12, we actually made the first complete version, the first feature film of the gallows. Full cut, Full, full on, ready to, to drop into theaters if but, needed. But as Travis said, we had no connections whatsoever. We we were we filmed it in Fresno, California. We were as far away from Hollywood, at least, you know, not physically, but like, you know. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, we we submitted we we cut a trailer actually, and we put this trailer online for our finished film, and we presented it as though it was coming out through a studio as if it was going to be a major release, yeah. um, which it wasn't. There was no one backing it. We just we were just like, hey, this movie's coming out, you know? We got the deep voice and everything. Coming soon, yeah. this October. Well, and, you guys uh, know by now that 90% of Hollywood is all about perception. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly, yeah, go on. Yeah, so, this tr- so the trailer got picked up by uh, several big horror blogs, Bloody Disgusting, you know, Dread Central. These guys started picking it up, passing it around, and they're like, where's this movie coming from? Like, who are these guys at Tremendum Pictures? Like, I haven't heard of this Gallows movie, but it looks cool. Like, I'm excited to see it. And so the industry people who were seeing the trailer started giving us calls, and we got calls from managers, sales agents. The the Weinstein company called us (laughs) back in the day. Um, And- uh, All from this trailer. From the yeah. trailer, from this trailer we put online, which you can find on our, our, our YouTube channel. Uh, if you just look up Tremendum on YouTube, okay. you can see the original trailer um, that we put out there. But basically, the the one person that we got reached out from that we really connected with was this guy named Dean Schneider, and he worked at uh, Management 360. And we met with Dean down in Beverly Hills, showed him the movie, gave him a DVD copy of the movie. Now, we get into more detail in the podcast, yeah. which is, is really a great – any indie filmmaker or any filmmaker at all would really enjoy this part of it because, like, we slept in our van, you know? Like, oh, yeah, we were like, oh, yeah, we're in Hollywood all the – yeah, we're, we're going to be there in the morning. Yeah, sure, we'll come by. You know, but, like, we drove our van down from Central California. We stayed the night in the van, woke up, brushed our hair in the mirror, then went to this posh <laughs> Hollywood office, you know? It was, like, so – we were so out of place, but yeah. we tried to fit in as best we could. But uh, he he uh, met up with us. We gave him a copy of the movie, and and uh, you know a couple of weeks went by, and we followed up, and he he came back saying, guys, I, I wanted to show it to a couple other people in our office, but we really love it actually, and and uh, we want to get it over to Jason Blum, and from there, Blumhouse, the people at Blumhouse saw it, and they decided they wanted to do a test screening, and that test screening. Is really what determined for them and all of us whether or not it was going to, you know, move forward with with them. 
And uh, the test screening it scored way better than they were even expecting, even though thought they thought it would do good. It did really good. Um, and then from there, it was like, okay, if we're going to do this, there might be some reshoots and some things that we need to do to smooth out the version that you guys did to improve upon it. And that's where it kind of started to drag a little bit when we would go back and forth between the different uh, chefs in the kitchen, you know. Yeah, and that, that version of the gallows, that initial version that was test screened that first time, you can watch that complete version on the Blu-ray for the gallows because that's the version that no one ever saw you know, in theaters, because yeah. that was the original one that we made, the full feature, because uh, we ended up going and reshooting almost the entire movie, and that's the theatrical cut that you guys saw. That's yeah. uh, that's amazing. See, that's the one thing that I'm, I'm a completely uh, media streaming reliable. We are a media streaming household. We don't have mm -hmm. any more physical Blu-rays, but that's what I miss about Blu-rays is all the yeah. extras that's not available on streaming services. Uh, right. So I'm going right. to just go out and pick up the gallows just to see the original version. Now, how different would you rate uh, are the differences between the original cut that you guys did to what ultimately ended up being the final cut? You said it was a completely different story. Uh, I mean, is it like all different? It's the there's, story is the there's, same. There's plenty of similarities, um, uh, but there were there are some things that we tightened up that that uh, made a little more sense or made it a little bit easier for audiences to follow. The biggest change people would notice is the change in one cast member. So we had, we actually had the cast carried over. You know, there's the three, uh, there's four main characters throughout the film, but one of them we recast and not by choice, really. We were kind of forced to. She had changed her appearance between the films. Yeah. Uh, about six months had gone by between, you know, the end of production and the reshoots. And she, when she came back, she looked totally different. She had lost nearly 40 pounds wow, and just wow. total body transformation. And we saw we her. We thought she looked great before, but yeah. she like got super duper skinny now and all that stuff. And so it was it was a real pain because we were planning on keeping all of her stuff and only like reshooting maybe 40 percent of the film. But once that happened, we knew we were going to have to reshoot a bunch. Yeah. And cause she just didn't reshoot. look the same as her former self. And it's a found footage movie, guys. Yeah, I mean, how yeah. are we going to... We're not going to do any uh, Eddie Murphy, uh, you know, prosthetics. prosthetics <laughs> yeah. you now, know? you guys, you have me wondering, is it the character of Cassidy or... or it's Cassidy. Okay. Cassidy. Okay. That's how Cassidy got involved, Cassidy Gifford. Um, we were in Management 360's office the day that we realized we had to recast this girl. And they represent her and... Uh, represent Cassidy Gifford. And, and they said, hey, you should take a look at a client of ours and you know we he pulled her up on on google or whatever and we're like seeing all these pictures of her with kathy lee gifford i was like what is she friends with kathy lee gifford or something that's kind of weird <laughs> and it's like no no that's that's their mother daughter i was like what yeah we're like wait what that's that and we we thought immediately we thought that wouldn't work for a found footage movie because of sort of her name recognition uh -huh. and um but she, had she was really, new enough she, she really enough. hadn't done anything and and you know only by name was she known not necessarily by her face you know yeah, yet yeah. Point. yeah so but it ended up working out great cassidy killed it and and she was such a pleasure to work with she, she was, was awesome great. she was great and she it, ended up on the poster so. yeah yeah <laughs> her character was amazing now any particular reason why you guys chose Nebraska as the location? It could have been anywhere suburban America. Any particular oh. reason Nebraska, or did you guys just say, you know what, Nebraska? 
it's kind of a funny story. I'm, I'm from Nebraska originally. Um, and when we first came up with this idea, Travis came up with this idea or came to me with it, we decided to take a page from the Blair Witch and really craft an intricate backstory to this gallows lore. So much so that we created a, a full on event that took place. And I'm using air quotes here for those of you watching <laughs> that took place in Nebraska in my hometown of Beatrice, where my dad actually told me this story and passed it on to me of, he saw this kid on stage back in high school that died from a prop malfunction. Wow. My dad was literally there and witnessed it and told me that the footage existed of this of this incident and the police department in, in Beatrice had copies of this footage. And I thought, so this is the story that we started telling the investors, the actors, Everyone. everyone getting involved with this project that this really happened in my hometown in Nebraska and and so much so that I think even at one point the actors talked to my dad and he recounted this story to them <laughs> we um, had websites that we built up too there's one like haunted connections or yeah something. yeah like if you really do a deep dive you could find websites dedicated to, to this story uh, that we created and fabricated that still exist. All these people, every once in a while you get people that would go on and be like, this didn't happen. My mom went to school there and <laughs> this is a load. And then and of course I had all these trolls ready to like reply. And say, yeah. yeah, I was there. <laughs> no way. This so happened. I saw some of the police talking about it, you know, like but it's exactly what the Blair Witch guys did. They created this lore and they had websites and things dedicated to it. And so and it helped the actors stay in a space of like reverence for the entity because literally during filming the entire time uh, during filming the, the entire gallows and the reshoots, all of the actors believed this was a real event that, they were there, on edge. that there was in fact a kid that died on stage from a noose from a hanging and that that is basing, you know, that was what we were making uh, based off that event. So that the, really did happen. What's that? That really did happen. Uh, the Where a kid got uh, hung on stage by an accident, right? So, no, it did not. Okay. But, but the belief was that it did, and that put everyone on kind of a higher sense of... Like everyone was a little bit more on edge because of thinking that that had happened. Now, if you want to talk during the filming and during production over those years, there were several people that did accidentally hang themselves in haunted houses, in stage plays, in Brazil there was one. And lady. in my hometown. And there were several hangings in your hometown. Actually. Yeah. Wow. So it, it, but it did add a, so that was kind of where the lore came from. It was mostly fabricated, but it really did add a level of, like Travis said, heightened realism and and just an edge on set because the actors, they they really thought that you know Charlie Grimmel was a actual person. person. And, uh, yeah, to be conjured up and to like we should be more careful. So it was it was kind of a you know shady filmmaker trick, I suppose, but it 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 really worked in terms of bringing out the best in everyone involved in the project. I yeah. believe. Now, before we take a deep dive into the story of The Gallows, I want to ask you, when the movie came out and it was such a success, it is, it is truly a scary movie, great story, great acting. You guys did an amazing job with The Gallows. Uh, after it came out uh, and it was a success, uh, did you guys find that you've built up Hollywood cred uh, to like when it comes to making Held? 
you guys now have a reputation. Uh, you have a you know you have successful films under your belt. Did make did that make uh, you know getting the funding or distributor uh, for held a little bit easier, or was it just as, as tough as it was with the gallows? You know, it's interesting. Um, the there is cred, calling card. Yeah. And calling card and like accomplishment that people always are like, oh, yeah, that's right. You guys did something that no one else has done. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is still just as difficult, I think, to get funding and do do all that stuff, because um, a lot of people in Hollywood that are in the industry, they really uh, want to kind of do like if it's something outside of the system, it's not as interesting because they're not participating as much. You know what I mean? If, if you're in Hollywood and you're in the business. You want to be like the third cousin of the executive producer on that Dwayne Johnson movie, you know, yeah. that uh, your uncle who works at Netflix is, you know, like it's a big thing. You want to be part of all this stuff. Like there's fewer people that are interested in being part of like an indie hit or an indie underground kind of a, a hit that that doesn't need the system necessarily. So like when we did Held, we did it completely off the grid, totally out of out of the system. But it's a solid, solid movie. We did the same thing on the Gallows Act too. Mm -hmm. We did that in our hometown here, um, and we got these great actors. We had a great team, and we put it together. And no one in Hollywood would have known that we were making it. You know, um, it's a it's really a a huge effort every time. And I think a lot of filmer, filmmakers can attest to that, even ones that are super established, more even more than us. <clears throat> Getting projects made is is such an effort. I mean, it really is. And, and one of our favorite quotes is uh, Mark Duplass, the cavalry isn't coming. And it's so true. Like you, you have really no one to depend on but yourself. Yeah. And we yeah. found that time and time again, we are the ones that uh, have to push the boulder, you know, up the mountain. Yeah. And, um, and but I mean, in honesty, maybe we wouldn't have it any other way. Sure, we'd like to have you know Avengers six or whatever come rolling our way as yeah. as directors. And you know, I think that day will come where we're doing a studio movie. But um, well, for now, it's it's just us doing our projects the same way we always have. And I gotta say, people like you guys who don't sit and wait for the phone call but make your own opportunities, I have so much respect. For that that you guys go out and make your own opportunities and you've had success with it so to summarize the fact that you guys uh went and made held uh without asking for any hollywood assistance actually caused you a little bit of some backlash within the industry of hollywood is, is that accurate not backlash, but, you know, like, wait, you guys did this without us? How did you do that? I would just say it, it's 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 not so much that. It's more that they're just like, oh, cool, you did that. Like, okay. awesome. Like, it's, not, it's like I feel like they think there's not much value that they can add. So there's no point in jumping on. And this is something that some of the guys at Blumhouse have told us. When we were filming the Gallows sequel, several of the other co-producing entities were wanted to come up or we asked the people at Blumhouse, hey, why don't you come up on set? And one of the main guys, Cooper, he was 
he called, he's like, guys, I'm not going to be able to come up. I got to put out a fire on this other thing and yada, yada. And you don't even need me. You're a victim of your own competence. I don't need to be there. I know it's going to go right. So that's kind of a, a really cool thing to know that our reputation is such that other producers don't need to show up. They just know it's going to get done. Yeah, I would, I would say, too, it's like I, I think there is kind of a in Hollywood, especially with uh, salespeople and distribution people, there's really not much they can do after you serve them a finished film on a silver platter. You know, like with we what, what we did with Held, we literally finished everything and just started shopping it around. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is good. OK, we'll buy it and we'll put it out there. You know, like there was no there was no editing notes. There was no like changes requested or anything like it was just here you go. Here's the movie. We and even had a trailer prepared, and, and that even, took a little – we did a couple of modifications based on what Magnolia was hoping for or, or wanted to tweak. But like all – everything is prepared. So we're like a one-stop shop. We can get everything done and kind of just be like, okay, distribute this movie. I guess to sum all that up would be to say we can do everything we've been doing without the help of a big studio – but it sure would be nice to have the help of oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it makes it much simpler. Now, Tremendum, your studios, are you guys uh, production and distribution, or do you deal mainly with just production? We're just production at the, at the moment, I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we produce everything. We, we direct most things. We write many things. We hope to be able to do all things. Oh, of <laughs> course, yeah, yeah. We have a bunch of projects lined up with other writers and filmmakers that we're excited to to be producers on, just producing, not directing. Some great things in the horror space, actually. Um, and we've been working on trying to get a fund. There have been a lot of like things back and forth over the years between different entities and us where we've almost had like first looks and then like COVID happened and, mm. and first look deals kind of switched up and and or theaters are not quite as big of a thing anymore and yeah. there's more like paid streaming service or ads ad video on demand ad supported and so like a lot of things are different in the industry and so um for us we feel like we uh we we can do a lot more on our own if we just now get funding or put together a fund so we can self-finance all these movies we we covered held out of our own pockets we had a couple friends jumped that jumped in our our neighborhood dentist who's a friend, an yeah. airline pilot who's a friend, right? But we covered the lion's share of it. But um, we want to create a fund where others can come in and we can still keep our model of doing these high concepts on uh, uh, still big budgets, but small for Hollywood standards. Oh, yeah. Um, so who's the main distributor for Held? Mag Magnolia. Magnolia. Releasing label, mm -hmm. yeah. Awesome, awesome. And it's available. You said it came out in theaters. Uh, how soon after the theatrical release was it available on video on demand? So it was a day and date. So it was on on demand right on the same day. And it's actually, it came out, this kind of cool, today, literally today, it just released on uh, DVD and Blu-ray. So it's out awesome. on home video right now. Um, and I think it's even going to be on Redbox next week. A week from today. Redbox next week and then yeah. Walmarts and Best Buys and, right now, and yeah. other and Targets and stuff yeah. right now. That is so cool. Now, you guys being filmmakers, uh, COVID sped it up. But how do you feel about uh, simultaneous theatrical video on demand releases as filmmakers? Do you think it's a good idea? 
some uh, it looks like Hollywood is still trying to find a formula that's going to work. Do right. we? I have seen anywhere from uh, twenty dollar video on demand movie rentals, not buying rentals, twenty dollars. Uh, mm-hmm. I have you know we all know the simultaneous simultaneous theatrical and video on demand releases. Some other studios are releasing to theaters and then a week later going to video on demand. Out of all those options, which ones do you personally, both of you guys personally like the most? That is going to be most, you think is going to be successful? I mean, personally, as a filmmaker, of course, we love the theatrical experience. We love seeing our work on the biggest screen possible. And I know really every filmmaker I think feels that way because you you work so hard on these movies for so long it's a shame to see anyone watching it on a tiny little screen with you know with crappy speaker and especially when you have you know super talented artists like we've been fortunate enough to work with on the sound department our, our composers our sound designer on held and the gallows Brandon Jones who also did a quiet place and quiet place two and bunch of Transformers movies. I mean, the guy is just a stud and the sound he creates is just, it can't be heard any other way other than in the theater. That being said, I think it's inevitable and there's really no way around it these days that this is the direction we're heading, right? That streaming and other platforms are are here and people are watching things on those smaller screens Mm -hmm. and it's not going to go away. You know, we can't just... We can't just, you know, eliminate them and force people back into it's just not going to work. So I, I think it's inevitable. I, I think people are just it's just going to go that direction. I, I hope people continue to see movies in theaters. There will still be room for that. I think there always way. will be room for that. But from a business perspective, it's always been tough for in theaters because the the theatrical the theaters themselves take half of the box office. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't realize that. So when a movie gets made for, you know, even a big Marvel movie, a hundred million dollars, two hundred million dollars to make it, a hundred million to market it, and then it does two hundred million box or three hundred million box up, you're like, great, they made their money back. No, they cut that box office in half. They made half of their money back. They have to literally double the box office. I thought theaters to- mainly relied on concessions for the biggest part of their revenue. And that is that is a they do make most of their money on that, but they still do they take, do make a lot of money on the concessions, but they still take half of the box office. It's usually somewhere between I think it depends on the studio as well. Like different studios will charge different things, but I've heard it's anywhere between forty and like sixty percent of the ticket revenue. Okay. Wow, I didn't I didn't, did not know it was that much. And I Chris, I think you're right. Uh that the there's always going to be a place for the movie experience because it's not just going to watch a movie it's an experience you know whether it's an imax film or whatnot it's an experience going to the movies with friends family uh that's not going to go away uh what i see happening is we're probably going to see some mergers unfortunately maybe some of the smaller theaters may not be able to survive which really sucks but what I think happened is this was a direction the industry was going. COVID just really sped up the timeline. I agree. Yes. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Now, let's dive into the gallows, okay? This, uh, 
one of my favorite uh, movies. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but the paranormal is my favorite subgenre in horror. First of all, do you guys consider yourselves big horror fans, or you like so-so? Uh, we're we're movie fans, all kinds, and uh, horror is it's it has a place in our heart, just like uh, just like action or comedy. You know, um, it's tough to say that we're like I wouldn't say we're like diehard fans. Although honestly, we have like all these scary masks and stuff yeah. all over our wall <laughs> all in our over. Home studio. Yeah, and the first movies I made growing up um, were all mostly scary movies. They were either just like dumb comedy skits or scary movies. Exactly. But I think that I think that's kind of natural for young filmmakers because horror is so accessible, right? Yeah, um, it's easy uh, to do. And I've always heard that uh, making horror movies is probably the cheapest out of any other genre. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you don't need you don't need big stars. No. You know, you don't you don't need Julia Roberts in your horror movie to make it a success. That's you know? one thing that's fun is that we've been able to do all these films with relatively no known people yeah. in any of. Them. I mean, and and. It feels great to accomplish that because so many distributors are just looking for the face they can put on the poster. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that it, and they still pick it up, that's just a testament, I think, to us, to the filmmaking. And so we really take that with pride, just knowing that. That's, like, that's another another big reason why The Gallows is such an anomaly. You know, not only was it made for just pennies, but it also, like Travis said, it has no star power. There's right. really like. There is nothing going for that movie other than the execution of, of the film itself right. and, and how effective it was. So it's, it's really, it's, it really is just crazy that that happened, that it was just plucked out of obscurity and made it to a worldwide theatrical release. I mean, it's it still- was meant to happen, though. I mean, yeah. we, it was those things that we were we felt it in our bones. It was part of our plan. It was like something that we weren't going to stop until it happened that way. And we had options and times where we could have quit, but... It's one of those tremendous stories, unlikely stories, if you will, kind of like yeah. the, an unlikely story that is inspiring. And it, we would watch someone else if it happened to them and say, man, that's awesome mm -hmm. that they did that. You know, we look we look at the stories like that and we love those stories. I have personally never watched a movie solely because actor X was in it. Uh, mm. That's just that's me. That's just me. And yeah. what I love about the gallows, I put it in the same category of like uh, a paranormal activity, the Blair Witch Project, zero budget, no big names, but you have good acting, you have an amazing story, and it all gets put together. Uh, the gallows keeps you on your toes. So let's take a, a real hard look at the movie itself and discuss the storyline. You have four main characters, Reese, Ryan, Cassidy, and uh, uh, Mc... What's, what's the other girls that McPhee? No. What's the girls? Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. Yeah. God, I lost my mind there for a second. <laughs> now, Pfeiffer. The four of them did a great job. Uh, and then, of course, Charlie. The whole thing revolves around the 1993 accident on stage of Charlie Grimmel. Now, uh, before I want to go to the end, because I legitimately have some questions in regards to the end, which I know, I don't know if you guys meant to do this on purpose, to leave it up to the viewer and let them come up to their own conclusion. But this is how I see the ending. Uh, Pfeiffer was 
Charlie Grimmel's daughter. Correct or incorrect? That is that is correct. That is correct. Okay. If you ask that, that's correct. Now Charlie was in a high school play when he died, so he is a, a very young parent father maybe did not even know that he was about to have a kid when his death came right right that's kind of how he thought of it too he was he was probably 17 18 you know when he died now the question is at the end with the cops uh showing up to pfeiffer's house what leads and this is not in the movie i don't know if it was in the original cut but what leads the cops to go to pfeiffer's house so when they and we had this is in the uh, blu-ray as an alternate ending we actually had you know how in the movie they pull a fire alarm yes there's a scene where a fire department actually shows up and then they kind of get real close like they they get to the stage and they come up and they find this camera and they grab it and then they're like what's this all about and so the camera that had been recording the whole night the, it became was in left, the possession of the authorities. It was left at the school with this dead body, you know, all these dead bodies, and it would show the footage of all of these characters dead except for Pfeiffer, you know? So exactly. They go and find her and to say, what the heck's her. going on, you yeah. know? Now, Pfeiffer, uh, first of all, it was very suspicious to me when uh, Ryan, uh, uh, Reese, and Cassidy break into the school, and then out of nowhere, uh, Pfeiffer shows up. And her excuse was, I just saw your car. Nobody really grilled her. Like, how'd you get in? I mean, yeah, we know about the door being unlocked. Yeah, you saw my car in the parking lot, but that really made you come into school in the middle of the night? Uh, so they didn't really grill her. Uh, having the When I first watched the movie, I didn't think twice of it either. Uh, now that I know... Do you think this was planned all along between Pfeiffer and her mom? Uh, is that what you guys were trying to get to? It's been it's been a you got to be honest. It's been a long time since we have seen the movie, so I gotta I think back. But I, if I recall, I do think there was this sort of long con aspect to Pfeiffer's plan. Oh, they she wanted to complete the play. She wanted she wanted Reese. She ultimately needed Reese to get to a place where he would sacrifice himself legitimately as the character August is supposed to do in the play, right? And in order to do that, she's going to have to bring him way down and make him desperate, absolutely desperate, right, to, to, to get to that place. Now, it's been, like I said, it's been a while, but I think that having him in that theater was meant to be, and it was part of the plan and I do believe there are some breadcrumbs that are set up in the beginning where Ryan finds out about the door through he finds out through accident he saw somebody just go he saw the door flopping in the wind that's right that's right yeah it was yeah. after he checked out stage boy so that's right I, I was thinking that it was it, it was always meant to finish the play and to do the play and complete it the way it never was able to be completed for her father. Yeah. And um, and also to include and get some revenge on the person who was supposed to be in. The oh, show. no, no. That's right. I'm remembering now. I'm yeah, remembering. That, that's now. what it was. It was it was that all the things I said about Reese. But 
them breaking into the school was like a wrench in her plan. Right. That's what it was. That so, was like, oh, no, like this could go south with these people going in there and maybe messing up my play. And she's such a drama, oh. you know, nerd that, that, of course, they didn't question her. Like, it's her baby to That's be in this was. play. So they're like, oh, great. The person who's most protective of this place shows up like, yeah. OK, well, that's a problem. But yeah, I, I remember now that it was and forgive me, I was messing up my own story. <laughs> it's uh, fine. Along, I, I, I think it was that Reese was supposed to die in the exact same way that Charlie did in uh, front of a bunch of people watching of, the play. In, for, yeah, in front of the whole school, you know, like that was that was what was meant to be. But because that. They was, thwarted that plan by breaking in. Right. And right. so she went in there to stop it or to figure out how she could keep the plan alive. Yeah. So it's basically, uh, and this, we all got to go back to Pfeiffer's mom uh, because she knew that Reese's dad was supposed to be uh, the one uh, on there instead of Charlie Grimmel. So right, we right. all are led to believe that this is all orchestrated by the mother, Pfeiffer's mom. Now, yeah. when, uh, so the way you guys are saying it, and I didn't even uh, realize this, I just thought it was all Pfeiffer and her mom leading them to be in that school on that night and have it work out the way it did. But it makes a whole lot more sense now that it was supposed to go on, the play was supposed to go on the next day, and that same accident that happened to Charlie was supposed to happen to uh, Reese. Do right, you right. guys, when you were writing the story, did you want people to believe, especially with the ending, uh, because uh, that, you know, Pfeiffer's mom and her Pfeiffer conjured up Charlie after he died? Uh, is that sort of how you guys envisioned it? Because like I said, it's open to interpretation. And one, of, and, one, yeah. and one of the possible options is that Pfeiffer's mom and even Pfeiffer herself, maybe, I believe Pfeiffer got brainwashed by her mom, but Pfeiffer's mom could have possibly conjured up Charlie <clears throat> Grimmel. What do you guys think yeah. about that? I agree. I think, I think you're right in the sense that Pfeiffer definitely grew up in a brainwashed environment thinking a certain thing. You know. Oh, yeah. And her mom would have held her back too, like a year or so just to be paired up at the right time with Reese. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Because she people... would have been a little bit older yep. than Reese. But it's like if you have a two year old and you find out that that the son of, you know, your the nemesis. That's where I the guess. long con comes in. It's yeah. like, okay, well, I'm gonna make sure that when they get in, we can lobby to do this play at the school. I'm gonna make it her thing. I, I've They're almost... gonna be in it together. And the and and mentioning Charlie and conjuring his spirit up in that theater is how that's gonna bring this to pass. Yeah, and I I, I almost think I've always kind of viewed it as like Charlie's presence was always felt in some way in the theater in, after in, he died in well and in the lives of Pfeiffer and her mom right like they they always had this connection probably more the mom right um but almost as if it was like a guardian angel to their family in this sick and twisted way that they always had a connection and especially in that high school theater they you know really felt it but it it's almost akin to a religion you know for them it's like this 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 figure in their messed up way of thinking yeah. that has to be appeased and Pfeiffer would have just grown up knowing that you know yeah. she would have grown up knowing 
Very cultish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Charlie as this, you know, all, you know, kind of all powerful father, you know, and um, so I, 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 yeah, I think that that was always a, a thing. And you could see it all in a room in the shrine. Oh, yeah. 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 Now, when it, when you guys were writing this and you were trying to figure out how to portray the apparition of Charlie Grimmel, you guys chose that of the hangman with the mask carrying the rope as opposed to the role of August that he was playing in the play, uh, that he wasn't the hangman. Uh, he was the one that was on the gallows. Do you guys wrestle with how to present the apparition of Charlie and you chose to go the way of the hangman, which is super scary, by the way. But was there any thought into that? Or did you guys just know right away we're going to present him as the masked hangman? So it's interesting, the idea of the hangman actually kind of almost predates the movie the movie the itself because we wanted to make a horror movie that would be less gory. Mm -hmm. And this idea of a hangman came to mind and we thought, well, this is cool. We haven't seen this before. He yeah, could, like it's not an axe or a machete or like, a knife. And we specifically always wanted to make a PG-13 high school age movie mm -hmm. and we, which it should have been we do we, we do we you guys gotta have to watch the podcast we you know because we go into we, into we go it, into this in deep detail. on the rating but essentially that didn't work out we got an r rating anyway <laughs> and we still to this day do not know why but uh we think it has something to do with just kind of the raw nature of found footage and it being kind of you know realistic and scary in that way but the hangman was always a thing we wanted to do because it wasn't gory and because there wasn't and it was different. Death. And it was different. We're like, no one's used a noose or a rope as their murder weapon. I right. Mean, it's it's all these ideas started coming to mind. Like Travis had the idea of Cassidy's death blow of getting you know dragged down that hallway by a noose, and and uh, we just had to put that in the movie somewhere. And and it was just a unique way of of killing characters, to be honest. And we so we always wanted to do that uh, when it came to. Char the Charlie aspect in the video, if you pay attention, it's it's quick and it's it's easy to miss. But in that video that they watch in the school, they mention that Charlie was actually meant to be the hangman in the in the play, and he was so excited about it. That was actually his role um, that he created this costume. He was he was just he was so excited to be that role in the gallows play. But because Reese's dad called in sick. He didn't get to play the hangman. He had to yeah. play the lead, which he didn't want to do. And, of course, it led to his untimely... Tragedy. It led to tragedy. Now, oh. let's move on to the Gallows Act 2. Uh, you guys brought Pfeiffer back. Uh, did you guys wrestle with that idea? Or did you know that you wanted to bring Pfeiffer back as we see her locked up in an institution? We wanted to bring her back. Yeah. We liked her. She's fun a fun character it would be a cool kind Throw, of throwback a hearkening to the first movie and uh she could kind of help us ease into kind of the because the sequel is not really like a sequel or a prequel or anything it's just like another story about that challenge within the same universe it's, it's kind yeah, of the charlie challenge yeah, yeah. we kind of took that challenge and kung fu'd it into like this playbill and how doing this play, reading this play, conjures up this this force of Charlie yeah. in 
and and people have kind of taken to the challenge in a dark way. And internet challenges, of course, as you know, become kind of a big thing, and they were especially big at that time too. And um, we kind of wanted to play off of that. Yeah, and people doing really terrible, awful things. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now uh, they give a you know you give a little brief explanation as to what led Pfeiffer to be locked up. But give us the real background. What happened to Pfeiffer at you know between the end of the first movie, where she seemed to be in cahoots, close to her mom, under her mom's brainwash control? What led her to ultimately have a breakdown and be institutionalized? Well, I mean, I think that it's basically once once things were able to be settled and discovered uh, and discovered and people were able to be detained that they realized that this this kid never had a chance and was not going to be any form of normal ever and so once she was exposed and the yeah. mom was exposed i feel like they were separated and, and both placed in different both institutionalized yeah. separately because they realized how much harm pfeiffer's mom was doing to her and how dangerous they were together obviously with the deaths of these other students and they were too far past giving up any notion of charlie or 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 that that they would still continue to worship exactly yeah yeah now staying with act two uh anna rue the main character who was played by emma horvath sorry Mm -hmm. i probably butchered that she did a great job bringing uh anna rue to life and the character uh a question that i have we see, uh, especially in the library, Anna Rue uh, finds another person who is being tormented because she did the Charlie challenge. And she mm-hmm. tries to save this person. And at the end of the movie, we find out that this person that she was trying to help is actually part of the challenge, is part of the trickery. It is it all, was that other girl literally being haunted by Charlie? And she had to find somebody to make, uh, because in order to, I guess, win the Charlie challenge, you have to find somebody who is willingly uh, going to offer themselves, to hang themselves, basically, in in honor of Charlie, for lack of a better term. Was that other girl legitimately being haunted by Charlie and Anna Rue was her only way out? Yeah, that's that's yeah. basically how we like to think of it. That's and, how we've and plotted it. Yeah. The character of Cade is really the orchestrator of that. We like to think that these kids, that girl in particular, and some of the other kids that we saw in the opening of the film, have basically become wrapped up into this challenge and are kind of trapped in it until they can get someone to willingly sacrifice themselves that will be the finale of the show and effectively the end of the challenge and so they're kind of trapped all they're being tormented all along the way but they know they'll survive if they can get someone else to to go through with it now and if you see some of the faces are satisfied and happy and yeah, some of them like kate's are, parents yeah yeah and but then others like are sad. her she's like sad and like like glad More it's not some. her yeah. glad it's not her but still like distressed you can tell but some are just like ah at a boy you know yeah. uh, good job you know you did it like they had done it somehow earlier in their lives or something it's- right so Cade had no other motivation to do this as far as we know than to just do the Charlie challenge and 
he had no regard that this girl was going to die. He was a psychopath. We, right. we think that, like, I like to think of Cade and both of his parents as definitely having some, some psychological issues. Oh, yeah. But for them, for them, it was all about the performance. It was about doing something truly great in a way that was like, almost like they, they had become so wrapped up in them as a family in achieving this great uh, feat of acting. Like, it's almost like that that was their Oscar. You know, yeah. that was their was their best actor Oscar right there that they just saw their son winning. And, and they, they and, got someone to believe so much in their performance yeah. that that person's performance was the ultimate. Right, right. And so we like to think that in, you know, their own sick, twisted, thespian minds, you know, not that thespians are sick and twisted, but yeah. these guys really took it too far. Yeah. Uh, that was the ultimate achievement. Talk about yeah. getting into your character. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we yeah. only have a, a few minutes left. Oh, go on. I was just going to say, Emma is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Uh, she did a great job, and she's been in several other things, but she most recently has been filming as one of the main characters in the Amazon Lord of the Rings series. So wow. you'll be able to see her in uh, that. We and do not know what role, but we know it's a substantial one. Like, she's been... It's got to be a pretty good one. Maybe she's an elf or something. I don't know. She's meant to be on screen. She's fantastic. You, you guys follow her career. It's going to be huge. It's it's going to be huge. I, I'm so happy for her. She was so great in Act 2. And for her to get the recognition, she's a great actress. And I'm really looking yeah. forward to seeing her in that. That is so cool. Uh, now, moving forward, uh, I'm going to watch Hell tonight. Where would I? Where would people go uh, which streaming service would they go to watch? Is it a, is it a rent buy on all the video on demand services? Is so, there a particular I, service where it's streaming part of a subscription? I I'm not sure about the subscription, but I know not it's. Yet on the I think you can rent it just about anywhere. Um, rent buy like, on all the iTunes, all the. Like all I the... said, it did just come out on Blu-ray DVD today, and so if anyone's interested in in the behind the scenes and commentary by, by us, special features, that's available today. Uh, but I know it's definitely available to rent just about anywhere, I'd on say. All this, uh, awesome, the awesome. I, I'm going to watch it tonight. It sounds really fascinating. And uh, I just want to hear Travis's creepy voice. <laughs> you won't recognize it. You won't recognize it, but... but uh... I think you'll enjoy it. I mean, you may want to do another Dead Talk Live with us after. Absolutely, after. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I would love to do that. Now, Beyond Held, are you guys have uh, more projects in the works right now? We do. We've been working on an action comedy. We shot the first episode and a half, and it's meant as a pitch. We're going to take to streamers. And uh, it's got some well-known um, you know, social media creators in it that uh, are really f hilarious and funny in it, and that's exciting to do. And then we have a slate of about five or six more movies in, like, the horror, thriller genre. genre. Uh, we've just been trying to, like, build this fund so that we can get the financing to go make them. And we'll still, we, we can still do them in our own way, uh, or we could take them to, to studios. Uh, we like the idea of doing them our own way. Yeah. And then we also just launched our podcast, our Unlikely Story podcast. It's it's really for creators, storytellers, filmmakers. filmmakers, anyone looking to get started in this crazy industry, and yeah. and just 
dreamers, you know, like people who are trying to go out and do something awesome. Like we have our guests are, you know, range from filmmakers to producers to even just entrepreneurs who've achieved amazing things and and just like what it was like to get there, you know, the yeah. journey and yeah. that pursuit of happiness is kind of what we like to talk about what happened with us and how people can overcome the hurdles that pop up in life yes. to get their goals and get to their, but their hor- dreams. horror fans, especially will definitely want to check out our first episode. We, we'd go even deeper into gallows and we also interview, uh, upcoming, our next episode that we're going to put out, it's got, uh, Ryan Schuess mm. from, from gallows. And we talk a lot about the process of making the film with him as well. So it's, it's fun. And composers, which funny enough, we recently, we, we spoke with our composer for held, who was the guy who created the cover song for the trailer for the gallows way oh. back in 2015, nice. which was a very moody cover of smells like teen spirit, <laughs> which is now in the opening credit sequence of black widow. Yeah. Wow. We, so it just resurged as this huge song. We, we, and we're just, like, watched, oh, so we just watched Black Widow, and as soon as the notes came on, dun, 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 we're like, the wait, first three we, notes. we know that. <laughs> name that recognize that. It. Like, we know that one. That was a huge, huge licensing deal for the Nirvana estate. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. We're literally out of time, but I do want to ask you, is this, uh, this episode, this pilot that you're working on, is this your first, your guys' first dive into television or, see, you know? Yeah. Are you guys nervous at all about it? Uh, we were at first, but we shot it, and it's funny, and it's great. Yeah. <laughs> we're not worried at all about it, actually. Awesome. Awesome. That is so cool. Guys, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I can't believe this hour flew by. I know I keep saying that, but it has been fascinating to hear your guys' take. And my executive producer has been messaging me. He wants to know, Travis, where did you get that awesome T-shirt? I know that's from your production company. Is it available for sale? It is. We have these shirts and some hats and merch to help us. Every dollar goes towards us making more movies. Yeah. Absolutely. That's worthwhile it's right at, there. It's at shop.tremendum.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, it's been absolutely fascinating and a pleasure to talk to both of you. I wish I you nothing but the you know, but success. Uh, I loved... Like I said earlier, I really respect filmmakers like yourselves who don't wait for the phone to ring and you guys make your own opportunities. So a big hats off to you for that. I want to thank our viewers for tuning in tonight. Hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I have. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, any final thoughts you guys want to share? No, man, it was awesome. We, we appreciate everyone who listened in. Uh, if you guys want to just hear more of us talking about movies and stuff check out our podcast unlikely story podcast and unlikely if you want to story podcast and yeah. if you want to follow and support just all our social medias are at tremendum picks uh you can find us and sometimes some horror shorts on our tremendum youtube page you awesome. can see some horror shorts well and some of the trailers we talked about today yeah, absolutely absolutely i do want to see that original trailer of uh, yeah. the gallows anyway thank you so much guys thank you so much for tuning in Till next time stay safe stay walking good night Thank you. Later, guys.